0: Yeah, man what is going on salt company that's short <laughs> that was a warm welcome how are you doing guys good guys we just got done with a full two weeks there's a few that are this weekend but for the most part we just got done with leadership summer teams interviews i just wanted to say thank you it was so so fun getting to know you hear the stories um, i appreciate everybody who applied and interviewed Like, it was really, like, fun just to kind of see how God's moving, see, like, what got you to where you're at. And I feel like now when I look out, I'm like, oh, I actually, like, know a story behind the face. Hi, Lydia. (laughs) But now, now is the hardest part, right? The waiting. The waiting. Like, you guys spend hours filling out an application. You talk about your life, like, deep things with people like us you might not know that well. And then you just Wait. And now, the, now you can say, like, oh, I, I know the Lord is good. Whatever the answer is, like, I will trust. But, like, deep down, you're like, man, if that person makes it on leadership and I don't, you know. Uh, at least that's how I felt, wrongfully. Uh, but really, though, it, it's uncomfortable to not be, like, 100%, like, just confident. Like, okay, I got this. You know, that waiting phase is kind of weird. I love being confident. Like, holy cow. Like, this summer, like, if you were here this summer, like, I was learning a ton. Everything was new to me. I think my knees were shaking when I preached. I wonder if they like me, you know, like some of those, some nerves. Uh, Then like lack of planning. Last time, if you saw me preaching on mission, then I had to kind of pee halfway through. That wasn't great, you know. uh, But I'm fired up. I'm excited. Bladder empty. We're good to go. But uh, we love being confident. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Have you ever like taken a test, right? You've taken a test. Question pops up and you're like, yeah. No, I know this one. You can already count that one. I know that answer. Like the kind of question that you weren't reading all of the different multiple choice options, but you were just looking for the right answer because you knew it. It's the feeling when someone says, finish this sentence, ready? The mitochondria is the powerhouse powerhouse of the cell. You all knew it. Ellis saying no, but I disagree. Powerhouse of the cell. You all knew it. See, we love that. We love being confident. What about the flip side? How about like a feeling of like uneasiness or that doubt? Like, when the waiter comes a little too soon, asks you ready to order, and you're like, oh, I'll, 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 water is good, you know you want a Dr. Pepper, you know? Anyone ever tried, <laughs> this is a true story, anyone ever tried to order, like, McNuggets at Applebee's? I've done that before, and it's happened when I'm not confident, I just, I just say stuff, you know? That's what happens to me. We can all agree, we, we don't like the feeling of not just knowing. What are questions that you guys aren't confident in answering? Like, if someone came up to me and was like, hey, do you know the zeroth law of thermodynamics? I'd be like, I thought that law started at the one if, you know? Like, no clue! Or like, the amount of brain power that goes... I love her dearly. The amount of brain power that goes into answering my wife's questions when we stay up too late? Oh, it's unreal. You get the... Honey. Would you love me if I was a worm... You know, if I say no, there's rebuttal and sadness. I've sinned against her. And if I say yes, I'm a liar. You know, like, <laughs> the, <laughs> this question just makes us kind of squirm a little, you know. I hate the feeling of just not knowing how to answer something with clarity. Now, now, what about, we'll be real, what about questions have a little bit more weight? Like, when you take a test and you get a question and the professor Couldn't let be multiple choice, so you at least had a fighting chance. No. Hardest question on the test, you look at it, it's short answer, so you just look down and cry. Like, that's what you do. Like, you just don't know. What about even weightier questions? Like, what is the meaning of life? What is eternity? Why do bad things happen to good people? We all have questions, we just, we don't have immediate confidence in answering. Questions that make us a little uneasy. And and there's one I want us to zero in on that I ran to while reading the other day. Check this out. This is Romans 10.9. It says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, if you're in this room and call yourself a Christian or even concerned with anything spiritual, you, you realize you want to be saved. You see that you are imperfect and you desire earthly and eternal salvation. And this lays out how that happens. There's two requirements. Confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That seems simple. And then we get this. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now notice, it doesn't just say believe. It says believe in your heart. Now what is the difference between believing in my mind and believing in my heart? That's, that's a big question. And an important one, isn't it? I mean, this is saying that you can believe the gospel in your mind and yet not be saved. Whoa. Guys, if someone asks you how you know you are saved, like how you know that you are saved, how do you answer? According to this, we need to confess that Jesus is Lord, and most of us in this room have done that to some extent, and then believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. So in order to be saved, I know it in my head, but in order to be saved, I had to believe in my heart. So the question I was wrestling with is this. How do you know you believe in your heart? How do you know that you believe in your heart? I mean, without the answer to this question, we're left guessing if we're saved or not, and that is terrifying, considering the weight of it. The answer to this this question has eternal ramifications. The answer to this question gives clarity to whether you spend eternity in perfect relationship with God or permanent suffering and separated from Him in hell. That's big. But guys, the good news is this: Jesus gives us the answer in our text tonight. Uh, Jesus makes known how you know if you believe in your heart. He gives us the answer, and the goal tonight, guys, is this: you should leave with clarity. You should leave either with confidence in your faith or conviction of a lack thereof. With that, you guys can start turning to Matthew 7. You can turn to Matthew 7 with me. If you've been coming the last few weeks, you know that we are in a, a series of sermons called A Life Worth Living. We're going through the most famous uh, and impactful sermon of all time, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and in this sermon, Jesus is, is talking to the crowds. He's talking to a massive crowd of people, all sorts of backgrounds, There's disciples, regular people, religious leaders, all sorts of people. And Jesus is addressing a bunch of practices uh, that that are happening, that are man-made, don't reflect the character or intention of God, and he's correcting them. Now, this is the beginning of his closing statements where we'll start from his sermon. Everything is building. He's laying out everything we've just talked about over the last couple months, and now he's starting his conclusion. This is where Jesus is drawing a line. If If you have a study Bible, the notes will even say this last section is basically Jesus saying, are you with me or are you against me? You've heard me teach all these topics. I've corrected and comforted. How are you going to respond to me? Are you going to turn and follow me in my teachings or are you going to follow the twisted ways of the world? And he starts this conclusion with two paths and we see those starting in verse 13. The Word of God says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. What path are you on? Maybe a better question, what path do you think you're on? You know, I don't think anyone in here would look at that and say, oh, I, I want to be in the path of destruction. That's, that sounds awesome. Like, I feel like all of us read that and we say, yeah, like, I want to be on the path of life, but how do we know? Some of you are probably really quick to assume. Others of you have no idea. That's okay. So let's look back at the text, because like I said, Jesus is giving answers, not just opinions. So let's look Uh, some marks, indicators of both of the paths. Let's start with the path of destruction. We see that the gate uh, or the way onto the path is wide. The way is easy, but it leads to destruction. First thing to know is that we don't gravitate towards the path of life. We don't gravitate towards it, which we'll get to. The path of destruction is where we gravitate towards. Ephesians 2 would tell us that we are by nature children of wrath. In Psalm 51, David says that he was conceived into sin, and that is true of us. We are born onto the path of destruction. So if you're someone who already is thinking, oh, like, I was born and grew up in the church, I've, st- I've stayed away from the path of destruction. That's, that's not quite true. Because we are human, all of us stuttered on the path of destruction. So then the question isn't if we've ever been on the path to- towards destruction. The question is if we're still on it. Here are the indicators from the passage. It's easy to get on, easy to stay on, and has destructive results. Now, what does this text mean by easy? Uh, because if you're like me, uh, you're thinking there is nothing <laughs> easy about my life, you know? Like, I, I face trials, things are tough, and you have a great point. We all go through trials, which, which is why I want us to know that this path isn't easy because of what life happens to the people on this path. It, it's what we do with life. How do we respond to life on that path? Easy literally means achieved without great effort achieved without great effort. That's easy. Is life coming and going for you without much effort? Do you make decisions based on how you're feeling or just what seems best in the moment? See, it's easy to buy whatever we want. It's easy to watch whatever we want. It's easy to pursue the world. What about within trials? We all face them. How do we respond to trials? How do people on the path to destruction respond to trials? It's easy. What's easy about trials? Responding poorly. It's easy to respond poorly to the problems you face. It's easy to gossip to your friends when you see someone do something you don't like. It's easy to build resentment and even hate towards somebody when you have conflict. It's easy to be self-centered and either respond in arrogance to get people on your side and stick it to the man or respond in self-pity to get people feel bad for you because you don't deserve to go through whatever it is that you're in. Are you on the easy path? Are you quick to express how your problems are someone else's fault? Are you holding on to resentment for something that someone did a long time ago that they might not even remember? As we saw, we're by nature children of wrath, so maybe to have an easier answer to the question, have you gone through great effort to change your habits or make amends with people that you have conflict with? See, mark number one of the path that leads to destruction is that you're going through life without great effort. The second thing I want to look at in this path uh, is the last thing it says in verse 13. Those who enter by it are many. Do you fit in? It is really easy to find people who are still living on the path towards destruction. Those who enter by it are many by nature children of wrath. The path to destruction is full of people. There is no shortage of people on the path to destruction. You can tell if you're walking on that path, no one has a problem with you or the things that you stand for and believe. It's really hard to fit into the crowd of those walking on the path to destruction when you are walking on the path to life. Is it easy to relate to you and find similar beliefs to your coworkers and classmates? If so, just be careful. Because here's what's true. You are the average of your five closest friends. If the people you are closest to are gossips, prideful, and not in need of a savior, you will quickly see those attributes become true of you. This is the easy, broad, heavily populated way that leads to destruction. Indicators are if you haven't chosen a different path, life is what you want it to be, or you fit within the world. Then what are indicators for the path of life? Well, as you read in verse 14, it is quite opposite to the way that leads to destruction. Where the path to destruction is wide, easy, and populated, the path to life is narrow to find, difficult to walk on, and there are few people who find it. So the questions we need to to answer is, because I see the the appeal there, narrow, hard, lonely, like What's the appeal? So the question we have to answer is, why is it, what are indicators, and why is it worth it? So the first question, why is the gate narrow? Why are there so few people that find this path? If everyone knew about these paths, why wouldn't everyone just choose the path of life? Why doesn't everyone walk on the path that leads to life? It all comes to this. The path that leads to life is only available through a narrow gate. That narrow gate is Jesus Christ. Jesus has opened the path to life to those who enter through him Now this means two things you must know Jesus to be on the path to life and you can't walk the path of life without Jesus Here's what I mean You can't be on the path without entering the gate You know uh, so here's in order to actually turn away from the path of destruction to stop living a life that leads to death you need Jesus power his spirit his salvation you need him to sustain you on the path And you can't be on the path without entering the gate you can hear the rest of the message tonight. You can walk away and think of things to do, maybe decisions to make. You can make whatever life adjustments and changes that you want. You can line up your actions with what the Bible says, and it still won't matter if you haven't entered the gate. The path of life starts with Jesus, is walked with Jesus, and never ends because of Jesus. So how do you know if this is us? Let's look at some indicators. We've established Jesus as a gate that allows us to enter the narrow gate. There's one way to get on the path. What does it look like to be walking on the path of life? Well, let's look at the opposite of the path of destruction. The first thing we talked about is that the path of destruction is easy. And we see that the path of life is hard. Now, what does it mean by hard? If you're walking on the path of life, that means you're saying no to the easy way, putting in effort to fight against your inclinations. It means you aren't doing everything you want. You aren't saying everything you want. Your habits look different. What you say, what you buy, who you associate with, how you spend time, every aspect of your life looks different than the path to destruction. Trials in the path to life are difficult because that means you're going to great lengths to fight the inclination of pride. You're making amends with people, loving people that feel impossible to love. Walking in the path to life is hard because that means you're giving up the way of the world. You are giving up your own desires. At the gate onto the path of life being Jesus, you left behind your own desires and replaced them with his desires. You start to live for something bigger than yourself. You give up your own selfish, worldly desires. You forget about yourself. That's hard, isn't it? All of the world says you do you. Be your own God. Take care of you. You only live once. You, 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 you are the path to destruction. Flesh is the path to destruction. Jesus and his spirit mark the path to life. Romans 8:13 puts it this way. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Are you putting things to death? Are you putting your fleshly desires to death? Because this is saying either you kill the flesh or the flesh will kill you. You kill the flesh or the flesh will kill you. This is why the path to life is hard. It's easy to go to a party. It's hard to tell your friends no because you're trying to be faithful to God. It's easy to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's easy to sulk and pity or shake your fist at God because things are hard. It's a lot harder to put those things to death. If you have a person or friend group that you've been running with and, and you know they aren't helpful it's hard to separate from them. It's easy to wait. It's hard to delete apps. It's hard to confess sin. It's hard to say no to the world and yes to Jesus. The path of life is hard because you're choosing the creator over creation. If you aren't sure, you can get another pretty good indicator by looking at the second aspect, the path of life, Few find it. Is it harder to find people who want to live how you do? If you want to live for the world, I know a few campuses in the area that have thousands of people your age that would love to go and party with you. If you want to live for Jesus, walk on the path to life, it's a lot harder to find people willing to do that. In fact, with a rising number, 33% of people in America in, have never gone to one church service, not counting people who only go on holidays, and the millions of people that go to church thinking that that is what gives them salvation. But they haven't entered the gate because they missed Jesus. If you're putting things to death, you won't fit in. I'll give you some examples. You try telling some of your non-Christian friends that you aren't watching porn because you want to walk on the path to life and kill the flesh. Or try telling them that you are saving yourself for marriage. Man, if you're anything like me, you'll get judged. You'll get laughed at. You'll get left out for not wanting any part of what the world has to offer. You have to fight to find people to come alongside you and actually help you live for Jesus. And it's hard to find people who can, who can lead you down that path. And that is what Jesus addresses as we continue in our text. Here's verses 15 through 20. <clears throat> Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Our grapes gathered from thorn bushes are figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Who are you influenced by the most? Now before you get to the answer, not not ideally, not the right answer, like not who you wish it was, like who like stop and think. Who are you taking most of your advice from? Who do you sound like? Whose habits have you adopted? Who do you listen to? It's kind of a trend within the church right now. It's running like megachurch pastors, other influencers. Now, I do want to be sensitive because there is some boss followers of Jesus, very godly men, very godly women who give great insight into the word of God. And I'm not discrediting them. It does make it confusing though, doesn't it? What do you trust? How do you know if what you're listening to is actually leading you and helping you see the path of life? Let's look back at the text with me. Be, uh, starting in verse 15, beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their, what? I think I have a slide for this. I'm going to throw it back up. you recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad. A healthy tree cannot bear bad, nor can a diseased tree bear good. Every tree that does not bear good is cut down and thrown into the fire. Those who recognize I am by their... That's right. Fruit. What's produced? Fruit for a tree is what is produced by growing and spreading. What is produced by the person that you are following? Maybe you're following a sibling that you love dearly, but their life is marked by sin. Maybe you follow someone on Instagram you think is amazing, but they talk more about opinions miracles without evidence or how amazing their life is because of God without acknowledging the gate. Now, and maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know the fruit of who you're following. They seem to be saying great things, they make you feel good, but you don't walk through life with them in proximity. Whether that's a friend from high school, a long distance relationship, someone on social media, they might be a great person, but if you can't see the fruit of their life because you aren't close to them, I'd urge you to, to just be careful. because, we, we have seen that it's way easier to be on the path to destruction. It's easier to follow someone who, te- who follow someone who tells you what you want to hear. Just know this. If the person that you are following and looking to for advice has never said something that is hard to hear or challenges you, I would suggest you might need to look somewhere else. Because if you are by nature a child of wrath and start on the path to destruction and the person that you are following never challenges you to walk away from that, you will never see and walk on the path to life. Some of you are probably thinking about the person you look up to, they're, they're close to you, and you're asking, how, how do I know what fruit to look for? What's the fruit to life? What's the fruit to death? What should I look for? me for? And you can turn with me to Galatians 5 to get the answer for that. Galatians 5. It says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Which list looks more like the person you're following and listening to? Are they in a sexually immoral relationship? Are they an angry person? Do they divide people, not with a gospel, but with preferences and politics? Is it your best friend who means well? It's okay with you being a Christian, but they sleep around and love, alcohol. The people that we follow, look up to, should be the people we want to be like. And the word of God tell us, tells us that these people should be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guys, the people that you should follow probably aren't the coolest people you know. They probably aren't a big influencer. They probably aren't that awesome best friend that's the same age as you. It's probably an older couple that's been following Jesus for longer than you've been alive. They aren't flashy. They they don't have a big presence, but man, they love the Lord and they delight in his word. And they are marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I said it before and I'll say it again. You are the average of your five closest friends. What you follow closely becomes who you are. So be careful who you associate with and take advice from because this has a huge impact on what path you will follow. Now let's get back to the question I posed at the beginning. How do you know you believe in your heart? We first talked about the marks and indicators of the two paths. Life is easy, unrestricted, and full of company in the path that leads to destruction, while life is hard, restricted, and can feel lonely in the path that leads to life. Then we looked at two kinds of prophets, because who we listen to matters. And we can see what path our leaders and people we take advice from are on by looking at the fruit of life. What do they produce? But we know that all of us sin. So it's, it's not just a moral life that puts us on the path to life. And we know we're not condemned by who we follow. While it's smart to look for more mature people to follow us, so they can lead us on the path to life, just because you hear the right things and go to church, that doesn't make us right with God either. So, how do we know we believe in our hearts? Look back at verse 18. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Guys, the fruit of your life will reflect the belief in your heart. The fruit of your life will reflect the belief in your heart. You can listen to good people, read the Bible, make good decisions, but ultimately, the way you know you're on the path of life and following Jesus is if you are helping others to do the same. Believing in your heart is not just trying really hard to believe something. It's not intellectual. Believing in your heart means your decisions and actions are dictated by it, and life is produced by it. The fruit of your life will be determined by what you actually believe in your heart. If you believe in your mind, but but not your heart, your decisions won't change. If you believe in your mind that Jesus is Lord, but you don't actually make him Lord by eliminating sin and helping others follow Jesus, you don't believe in your heart. And it goes beyond just your decisions, because we can all play the game, can't we? We can all do the Christian thing. We can all show up. We can try to fight sin because we're told. Believing in your heart means that not only your decisions change, but your desires change. And when your desires change, the product of your life changes, and you can't help it. You can put on a show for a few days. You can muster up the strength to do the right things, maybe even for a few weeks. You can put on the Christian show. Believing in your heart changes the rest of your life. You are on a new path. The fruit of your life will reflect the belief in your heart says a healthy tree can't produce bad fruit. What is the fruit of your life? Do you build intimate friendships with people and bring life to the room? Or are you the common denominator for broken relationships? Do you point people to the love and hope we have in Jesus during trials? Or do you pile on with pride or pity? Do you build people up and encourage them when you notice that something is off? Or do you make people feel guilty and shameful for their decisions? A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Are you a healthy tree? It comes to this question. Do people want to glorify our Father in heaven because of how he's working in and through you? There is your clarity. If you want to know what path you're on, what you believe in your heart, ask yourself what your desires are and what fruit is being produced from your life. Now, we've been talking all night about these two paths, what they look like, where we are at, and I wanted to bring some more clarity to the why. Why should we want to follow this path of life? If it's harder to find, harder to say, and harder to find people to walk with, what makes it worth it? If you're like me, when you think of the, you see the two paths, you think oh, one over here, tight squeeze, dark, uh, bumpy, I don't know, and then there's this path over here of endless pastures of perfect bliss. See, the path of life and the path of destruction are actually more like a funnel, and here's what I mean. For the person walking down the path to destruction, they're at the starting, they're starting at the wide end of the funnel. The world seems to be their oyster, they're unrestricted and can do whatever they want to indulge in. It seems as if they have an endless amount of things to enjoy. As this person walks down the funnel, they continue living in sin. What is produced is bad fruit. And with bad fruit surfaces, it surfaces as broken relationships, idols that leave them unsatisfied and disappointment. And then trials come. They look forward to the hope they have, and for a while it makes sense to look forward to the things that they're living for, but as you walk down that path, down the funnel, as it starts to narrow, the result of their fruit is that the brokenness narrows their path. They lose opportunities because sin has corrupted it. As they get older, they aren't accomplishing the things they set out for, and they lack the depth of relationship they're longing for. Then they look up to the hope they once had. It's a lot harder to see because their hope is in the things that have left them unsatisfied this person gets to the end of the funnel and realizes that the path that they chose leads to destruction and punishment in hell because they failed to see Jesus. On the other end is a person in the path to life. This person starts at the narrow end of the funnel by trusting Jesus with their life. It's narrow because they exchange their desires for the world. They exchange their desires for the world for the desires of God. They feel restricted because some things that they want to do, they know they shouldn't do. It's narrow and difficult to eliminate sin and they they have people in the world trying to pull them back to the path of destruction, but they aren't doing it alone. When they exchange their desires, this person also receives the gift of the Holy Spirit to walk down the path with them. Because of that, they start to bring life to the people around them, not because they're better people, but because they are dependent on God. We see in John 10.10 that Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. As their life goes on, they start to feel the freedom from their sin. They see victory over idols that once controlled them. Every day walking with Jesus gets better, not because trials don't come, but because they have a bigger and better view of the hope that lies ahead as that funnel keeps opening up. At the end of this path, they get to enter into a perfect relationship with God, restored to our creator for all eternity. Those are the two paths. So i have three application points for you. The first is this. Enter the narrow gate. Enter the narrow gate. If you've been on the fence for a while, I want you to know that... It, If you aren't sure, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, you are by nature a child of wrath and on the path to destruction. And I never want you to hear that without also hearing this. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you. He loved you enough to live for you, to die for you, and he rose again to open the gate to life. He has given you the invitation to trust in him, exchange your desires for his desires, and live a life that grows and brings life to others. If you don't know how to do that, look back at Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Ask God for the forgiveness of your sins. Turn away from sin. Welcome Jesus into your heart. If you want to trust Jesus, he is waiting eagerly for you, and you can have a relationship with him tonight. Second step is this. Walk the path with Jesus. Walk the path with Jesus. The path to destruction is enticing from the outside because of the sin within us. There are plenty of people that would be ecstatic to help you ruin your life. There are plenty of ways to get distracted from Jesus, but when you have entered the gate that Jesus opened for you by dying on the cross for you, you will never lose it. Never lose sight of Jesus who paid the ultimate sacrifice to give you life and life abundantly. And he has now given you the Holy Spirit to put to death the works of your flesh. Rely on Jesus to walk with you down the path to life and avoid getting distracted from the world around you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Finally, this is the goal for all of us. Let's be a people who bear fruit to make the narrow path more enticing. Bear fruit to make the narrow path more enticing. When you enter the narrow gate by trusting Jesus with your life and walk with him every day, you can't help but bear good fruit. The work of Jesus in your heart is impossible to fake and impossible to stop when you have surrendered your life to him. If you are in Christ, you will bear good fruit and that fruit is going to help other people get a glimpse of the satisfaction and hope that they are longing for. We make the narrow path more enticing by bearing good fruit, not by telling people they're wrong or condemning them, but by showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we've seen, we've seen this play out in our ministry. Tanner, Ben, the rest of the Kogai leaders, they set out to make the narrow path more enticing. And started for them for believing and following Jesus and loving him. And out of the overflow... They help a guy like Jax come to know and love Jesus. Jax is a guy who came to campus expecting to join the party scene, but he met the co-dudes. They made the narrow path more enticing, and now that brother is lit up for the gospel and leading alongside him. What if we were a people that when people ask if we want to join them at the bars, we say, no, I'm good. In fact, I've got something better. Even a step further, what if we were people who, because we have a better path, we helped others see just how much better it is? People are missing out on the joy of following and living for Jesus, and we have a unique opportunity to help them see that they're missing it through the fruit of our life. What if instead of when people ask if you want to go out, instead of saying, you know, like, ah, like I got this saying that I, that I normally go to, we said, no, no thanks, dude. I actually have a group of guys that I meet with on Tuesday nights to talk about the Bible that have changed my life. When you've had enough of the unsatisfying party scene that you keep running back to, you let me know. We'd love to have you. So, company, this is a lot. This is heavy. If you know me, That's probably not the tone or mood that I'd like to talk to y'all in, but uh, I have to be genuine to the tone of the text. Asking the question if we are actually for or against Jesus is difficult, so I wanted to end tonight with with an encouragement from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, For the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus came and lived for you. He died for you, took the punishment away from you, has opened the gate to life, and is granting you an invitation to be welcomed into life and life abundantly. Not when you fix yourself up. And said, in fact, Christ died while we were still sinners to open that gate. He welcomes you on. He takes you by the hand. He takes off your desires, replaces them with his. He gives you the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit so you can actually understand what God is saying to you. He gives you a community of people to come alongside you to worship him. It's all for his glory. He is extending the invitation. If you're feeling the weight or the chains of sin, if you're feeling the effects of the choices you made in this life, you can let them go, not by working harder or thinking about it, but by giving them to Jesus, being dependent on him to take those away from you. If Jesus' blood is sufficient For your salvation, it is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge, sin, and temptation. Jesus is enough. Let's pray. God, you are so beautiful and so kind. While we are still sinners, you sent Jesus. He founded our faith at the cross when he nailed our burdens to that tree. And he perfects our faith because we still fall so short. God, help us tonight to remove our desires, replace them with yours. Take away our inclinations to the world and replace them with the desires for things of the spirit. Help us to walk according to that and help us to be a people who live for the glory of God and who help people see Jesus. That the fruit of our life reflects the belief in our heart that we know we're sinners. We know we will never be perfect, but we have an amazing God who already was, so we don't have to be. Help us to accept the gift of the gospel and bring that to the people around us. Help us to be loving, And help us to abide in you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm.